0: Good morning and welcome to episode 19 of the Quickie Podcast. Before I introduce today's guest, I wanted to ask, did you subscribe yet? It's cool if you didn't, but you can do it now. You can just click subscribe. New episodes every single day. Um, Also, if you've been listening to some other episodes, um, previous episodes, I'd love it if you left a review on iTunes or Spotify for the podcast. Uh, I had one put up on May 29th and I just wanted to read it to you quickly. Um, The Quickie for Designers is a pro-quality podcast bringing interviews with talented creative people, often those who are not typically in the spotlight. It's nice to hear about what drives fellow creatives and learn some new names in the field. Thank you so much, Tom, for leaving a review. I really appreciated it. Um, So today's guest. Today's guest is Dennis Boyle from Boyle Design Corp out of Vancouver, B.C., uh, really enjoyed talking to Dennis about his childhood full of sports and lots of drawings, specifically dinosaur drawings. Um, Dennis is also an award-winning designer and creative director. And uh, I really liked the part of this interview where he talked about um, some of the most inspirational uh, artwork and design he's seen or that's influenced his career has been from artists and art and, and artists that used design language in their artwork. So that was really cool. Dennis is a really humble guy. I really enjoyed chatting with him, and I'm sure you'll enjoy this interview. So let's get to it. Here we go. Welcome to the Quickie Podcast, the daily interview show where we talk to graphic designers about their journey to the creative field, and we do it in 30 minutes or less. So, are you ready for a Quickie? Good morning, Dennis. Hi, Dave. Thanks for having me on the show. No, happy to have you. Um, Let's get right to it. Briefly tell the listeners about yourself
1: uh again dennis boyle i've uh, been working in design for about 20 years i work in the consultant based model i like dealing with the client directly um the variety of work is great in terms of different problems and things to do so
0: yeah there's always things to do that's for sure (laughs) yeah going what was your childhood like do you feel that you had a creative childhood and, and do you think that led you down this creative path
1: uh yeah i i was um i spent a lot of time in sports when i was younger i had a sort of proclivity for playing a lot of street hockey and soccer um outside but i was also called in for dinner from doing a lot of drawing as well so i I was compelled to do a lot of uh form and visual drawing when i was younger so those are the two things i i spent a lot of time in so i would say that that would be a creative uh, childhood at the same time. It's kind of an athletic one.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. What, uh, what sort of things were you drawing as a child? What, what were you illustrating?
1: Oh, um, I think I started with just uh, a lot of coloring and a lot of drawing. I think I remember drawing a lot of, uh, dinosaurs. I remember <laughs> drawing a lot of uh, fictitious types of things like, uh, I think I was sort of an obsession with Godzilla and something like that when I was younger. Um, <laughs> But yeah, but I, I, think, I think that uh, anything that was I, um, illustrative, I think, in the beginning, and, and I, I just started to compile a lot of things that were around me, the world around me, drawing uh, that way. I wasn't really thinking about uh, design in so far as just a, the wanting to, to produce things that were, were visual, that kind of came readily to me. So I, I spent thousands of hours just doing that and
0: through school as well. So. For sure. So is there a point in, you know, your childhood or teen years where you feel you were then uh, sort of led to becoming a graphic designer, a moment where it changed for you?
1: Um, Yeah, perhaps, uh, gosh, I think even as far back as elementary school, there was a project that we had, and I remember um, putting that together with A lot of attention as to how I think this sort of mock uh, brochure was going to work Mm -hmm. and and where typography was gonna go and how photography was gonna serve this open full thing and so I I knew very quickly of how things I wanted to sort of dictate how it was gonna work and how the choreography was gonna work so I guess you could say that that would be really early design thinking uh, maybe it was as far back as maybe grade five or grade six I think that when it was happening so somewhere along
0: that. Yeah. Ah, Good five or six. That was the turning point. Uh. Perhaps. Yeah. Yeah. Got it. Um, what has been the most influential design of your life so far? Either something that you've seen or something that you've been a part of?
1: Oh gosh. Um, I'm not sure if I would feel comfortable doing, talking about my own work in so far as, you know, what I've seen other people do. Um, uh, I would say that, uh, The funny thing is I don't come exclusively from design background. I studied visual arts first. Mm -hmm. So I've always been really actually even as much or more influenced by artists of the 20th century that might have used design language. I'm I'm referring to postmodernists like uh, Jasper Johns or Robert Rauschenberg in terms of how they introduced typography into their form that wasn't really... Design in the conventional sense, but was using those elements. I think that those artists have had a huge impact on how I thought about design, how I still think about it. Mm -hmm. Um, I would also say that I was influenced by Otto Eicher and some of the Swiss designers, but him in particular, specifically, going to your question, I'm thinking about what he did for some of the, the Olympics that he worked on, as well as the Lufthansa, sort of really setting a trajectory for what a, a mark or, or form and it's it's path and trajectory can actually be the kind of influence that that type of, of mark can have or a large corporate structure i think that was something that really inspired me and that was a long time ago that still kind of has that timeless approach to how we, we think about corporate id even
0: oh that's a great answer i love that dennis <laughs> so do you ever run into creative blocks and how do you get past them oh
1: um well, I think the the short answer is yes. Um, although I think it's all about how we view those. If we if we use words like creative block, then it has sort of this this notion that there's an impediment that's there. Whereas I, I I would sort of suggest that that's part of the process and constantly hitting areas that. Are, are testing your feasibility of your own thought and checking and i think that that's a, a natural occurring part of design and, and mm-hmm. shouldn't be really feared in any way if, if people think that way it's not like we've just got this thing that's always on so um i i look at it as a way of um if, if you hit that zone so to speak i tend to approach what we're doing from a completely different lens or step away from it come back it's it's all how you serve that particular problem. And the, the more you put into it, the more it tends to, to yield instead of looking at it in a, a linear way of keep approaching it the same way. So
0: so that's almost an, an embrace the challenge because it is part of the process. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah.
1: Um, I mean, not to stretch too far, but it would be like asking a swimmer not to take a breath or something like that. It's just sort of like, it's a natural part of just knowing that those things are there and they're, they're pushing back in different ways, really to test your own thinking so far. And it depends on what medium you're working in. You know, if you're working in sketch and what have you versus screen, it's more of an instantaneous feedback in terms of how how you resolve or how you attempt to resolve something. So, yeah.
0: Hmm so then what's been the most challenging time in your design career so far uh, why was it challenging and how did you get through it
1: uh, um, I think the first thing that comes to mind is just maybe leaving school I, I happen to have gone to Emily Carr and I met some fantastic people there and there was sort of a uh, a withdrawal away from the social aspect of it and the friends as well as the school and the structure that was there I think that's common so that transitional part that, that might have been uh, somewhat challenging but um, a natural part of, of professional life at the same time. Uh, I also think that I've had the opportunity to do a few projects that got a, at least locally a little bit more higher profile. I think of that as a different type of challenge too. because your work's really going to be front and center and it's going to be peer reviewed in a different type of way. So I, I saw that that comes to mind in terms of like a challenge as well, in terms of taking a larger piece of uh, responsibility what you're, you're producing something and, and knowing that you're, you're up, you, are going to be out in front of that, you know? So producing it that way. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So when you first left school and you had that sort of separation from, you know, what was essentially home for a number of years, uh, how did you get through that? Was it just put your nose down and get to work and make connections and network and
1: uh, yes, uh more or less. I mean, I think that um, i I stayed in close contact with the the group that I was with and and we all sort of forged ahead looking for different types of work and At that time, for me, anyway, it was right around the time of our our first major tech bubble, so there was a lot of opportunity. Um, with the right projects that were there and the right companies and that's when Vancouver was starting to get a lot of notoriety for producing some really large world-class clients as well and I was fortunate to have worked at a company that gave me some exposure to that and met some really interesting people internationally as well, very talented people so I, I, I consider that a really special
0: time uh, for myself. So Yeah, that sounds like it was a good opportunity for sure. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So with the you know, quick advances in social media over the last few years. Do you think it has changed graphic design or the process of design? And is that beneficial or harmful?
1: Hmm. Um, I'm not sure if I fully understand the question, how it relates to graphic design in particular, but I think uh, my, my first thought would be to suggest how it's, it's changing even business. Like um, for example, For a very small, if not negligible budget, you can create a brand and a following purely by producing content for a long time Mm -hmm. without having to really subsidize any of it. If you've got something that's specifically niche and you've got a lot of people are starting to follow that, you've really not put anything in except curate photography or whatever you're actually producing, and creating that following, and, and then a whole other part of the business plan can be anchored onto that after. That, that would be unheard of, you know, maybe even five or ten years ago anyway, where people would have to spend a lot of time and a lot of money done to get brand awareness or your thoughts about what you're doing. But now you can actually build just your content and a following. You can actually build a pretty interesting platform before you even introduce a, a product to it. Interesting.
0: Yeah. So, who is a designer or a brand that you look up to or closely follow, and what is it about them yeah. that you like?
1: Uh um, sort of a mixed bag answer for me. Um, I I always liked uh, people. Sometimes forget that the design, graphic design, as we know it, it has a lot of its origins in, in political affairs, and and so I I tend to really appreciate uh different street art and subversive work uh, uh i'm particularly thinking of banksy or the artist that is is famous infamous for for what he does i i think he's a very very clever individual so i i tend to appreciate what he does on on that lens um in terms of brands i um i'm thinking of a company called rafa they uh i do some cycling and I think that they've got a, a fantastic uh, product and, and brand. So I, I, I tend to follow what they're doing on a UX level, um, on, a, on an actual product level, on a brand level. I think that they've, they've set an interesting bar for, um, for what design can be all around, including their business. So that, that's one that comes to mind. They're Italian-made out of England. Uh, yeah.
0: Perfect. I like that. Yeah. Yeah. So how can design make a difference in people's lives?
1: Oh, sort of a cliche, but also existential question. Um, well, uh, I think that with you mentioned social media, and we talked about what's happening online to some companies that are producing things where the, I guess the usability level is higher. People's expectations, consumers' expectations are are high now because of what design's already done and i think that's a it's a really good sign whether that's online or we've all abandoned websites because we couldn't find what we we're looking for and that falls not really to the company it falls to the design team that did that so i think that people in design now have an incredible responsibility to reduce those speed bumps as they were for friction lines in any ux level and that's not just online that's looking through signage at an airport, it's getting into an automobile, it's putting on a pair of shoes. People don't notice things when they're working. And, and so that's probably what we need to all aspire to more and more. And we're, we're all privy to some pretty good things now, but that's because it's it's growing. And I think we just obviously have to continue to adhere to that.
0: So that's great and I mean one of the most simple answers or or examples of that is you know a doorknob that's put on the wrong way where it should be it looks like it's a push but it's actually a pull you know know, people wouldn't notice it if it just worked the way it appeared it should work yeah it's interesting because I
1: I think uh, I can't speak for others but I would assume that on some level people that work in design can be they can be quite frustrated easily, to your point, no different than when an engineer looks at the way that a motor or structure or electrical is working, and he or she might say, this could be so much better. And I think in the design world, um, we can see things that could, could drastically improve, and, and it, it can be quite frustrating sometimes when we see it, yeah.
0: So then, now take us to a design or project that you were a part of that did not go well or bring the desired result. Uh, what was that like? What did that feel like?
1: Oh, um, gosh, you know, I, I looked at your your, your questions and I, I I couldn't actually come up with a um, an exact. Um, project that actually surfaced conspicuously I I think of different experiences inside each one of them Mm -hmm. Um, sometimes the things that might not have worked and I mean not to be cliche but there's periodically there's been a client that I I wasn't able to work with Um, I'm thinking of one I can't obviously talk about that but it it has less to do with the performance of the design and more to do with um, in this particular case the persona and and the Breakdown of communication that would did occur, which obviously can happen. And you know, it's it's. I like to think that it's rare for myself, given I work uh, independently. But there there have there's been a time not too long ago where I thought this is this is too much, and it's starting to affect the work. And so we had to come to some sort of terminus at the end of the phase of work. Where we thought it was just better um, at that point to call it that. That's the that's the one that comes to mind for me. It was less about the design not working um i, I that's that's the that's what came to mind for me
0: so no that's perfect absolutely yeah. because it isn't always the design that's the issue it could be communication it could be you know just the a personality you know non-fit
1: yeah exactly and and i might not have been the perfect fit for that person either it's 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 a two-way street and uh we are not and, and supposed to uh get along well get along with the wrong word but is the idea of the actual fit always isn't uh, as smooth as it, as it could be so for yeah. sure
0: yeah. so then switching over to the other side and you're gonna have to touch on your own work here dennis okay. uh, what project have you been a part of that you are the most proud of one that makes your heart sing or the biggest feather <laughs> in your cap
1: right um well uh I recently did a project um, that's not yet come to fruition for the city of Vancouver that's to do with their Cambie Corridor that starts um, locally here and goes up to Marine and back. It's an eight-kilometer path, and it, it's specific to do with the uh, the new Cambie Corridor that they're reinvigorating. In. It's an identity program, but it was all done with with stencils, particularly with a new bike path, and they're they're opening up new types of things beyond. Uh, wayfinding and markings and safety into more of like a narrative and it for me it was really exciting because it was almost like street art and doing graffiti at the same time for things in motion so that's um about a year from now i understand where they're actually going to implement but the whole conceptual program has been finished endorsed and embedded by the public and the clients so that's kind of exciting uh to be part of uh, that that's one that comes to
0: mind yeah cool that i'm looking forward to seeing that (laughs) One thing I did notice we were just over in um, Ireland and Scotland for a few weeks, and the like you were saying, that sort of narrative street um, stencil look you know there's there's still plenty of signs, but there is so much description on the road surface itself, from crosswalks to roadways and roundabouts. It was just a, a different unique perspective on it.
1: Yeah, I think um, there's some precedent now about treating that really as a as a canvas. And of course, with the whole proliferation of, of bike corridors in cities now, finding more and more on the West Coast, it's different for us here because we, we're specifically on the West part of North America, where highways were, were really coming into suburbia a long time ago. Now there's this whole idea of Running people back into the city on bikes that we see, and to your point, in Europe or Copenhagen or Amsterdam, that we know, you know it's very popular there. But uh, the idea of building narrative within the urban environment uh, with the street, I think it's kind of an exciting time for
0: that. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. Agreed. Uh, what piece of advice would you offer to new design grads looking to learn uh, more or make their mark uh, in the industry? Mm. Um,
1: I guess a couple things come to mind. It depends on how much responsibility people want to take on would probably in my experience inform which path they take, not, not so much in terms of role, but whether or not they, they want to work independently mm-hmm. or they want to work with um, at, at, at a job position somewhere. Because that's, at the job, your role is going to be a little more finite. Whereas, of course, if you are on your own, you're you're obviously taking on a number of different responsibilities, but in particular, how close you want to be with the client. Um, I would consider that uh, if I was just, you know, coming out of school again. Mm -hmm. And I would also, uh, I'd also be thinking about how important it is to be able to present your work in a way that, that people are understanding, but one way that I found that that works that I sort I won't say figured out, but you you don't just want to be talking about what you've done or the ideas that you've got. It's it's almost like building uh, evidence against interest, almost like a scientific approach to things, so that you're you're building a case for what it is that you're doing. You're not just describing it with adjectives and then. Hoping the client gets it per se, you want to be sort of making arguments to support your thinking and anticipating the types of harder questions that people are going to answer. And I and I think that, that school is a good precursor to that in terms of creating crit criteria, but it isn't it isn't as loaded as it can be when you when you exit the school. And, and I think that being able to make those types of arguments for what it is that you presumably really believe in, in other words. You're coming up with concepts. It shouldn't just be a bunch of adjectives that are describing that. You sh- you you want to be able to get out in front of that so that it-, it can create a path for that business. That's
0: that's what what I think by responsibility. What I mean by that. So. Wow, that is a great answer because it's rather than you know we want something that's fresh and new and bright. You know, mm-hmm. really having the why answered and understood yeah. fully
1: yeah and not not to overstep but I, I i think that clients are not expected to understand what it is that they really want they, they are in fact even to some extent naive about what it is that they they want and that's where design has an answer that's what i mean by the word responsibility if you're just responding on its face to what they said and you go here you go i i would i would even argue that's not even design thinking per se but if you want to take on a larger piece and you want to take them on a narrative, you've got to be able to sort of think about what that path is and and lead that process and, and own it in a way that it means a certain level of, of vulnerability. But what I mean by that is that is that you're prepared to stand and and take what's about to come based on your ideas and, and be able to stand in front of them that way. So instead of just form for form's sake or hoping that something sticks, um, I, I like the idea of actually getting out in front of something and Really trying to unlock something for the business that they didn't see coming. Um, that that's always exciting for everyone, uh, I think. So
0: that's great. That's, yeah, that's really yeah. good. Uh, what's next in graphic design? What's the is there emerging trends or new? Are things taking a different shape? What's new?
1: Uh, well, gosh, um, i I personally not been aware or followed perhaps a lot of trends that that were there before and um that's not to say i i wasn't completely aware of them but i didn't necessarily inform what i was doing um i i think that looking at new technology that's coming through vr and artificial intelligence those are things that are coming down that i think that design is likely to have to or will want to start to be a part of no differently than, oh, things are about to go online back in 1997 or beforehand. It was this big sort of Gutenberg idea. I think those things are going to continue to happen and, and design will have to adhere and understand and, and apply its, its, um, the principles haven't changed, but the mediums in which they, they move into are, are going to evolve. And I, I think that there's, Obviously, going to be some exciting things happening there. That would be a perhaps a not a prediction, but something that I think is is coming. Maybe so.
0: Yeah, I can really see that. And I, uh, we had our first VR experience while we were over in uh, Ireland. It was in uh, Waterford, <coughs> and it was a, a Viking yep. VR experience where you put on the goggles, you got everything on, and you're <laughs> taken through sort of the, you know a ten minute history of the Vikings. Um, arriving in Ireland and, and, and uh, the history of that. Oh, uh, uh, And that yeah. was a really unique experience. Yeah. Um, so last question here, what is one design product, tool, website, or a community that you just can't live without?
1: Uh, um, you know, I thought about this, and the first thing that came to mind was, was just the, the iCal on the iOS, like basically scheduling and stuff. I, that's been sort of a godsend for me because – um independently and everything going on i i think i could be lost without that so i'm I'm always getting chimed about when my interview is and what have you that that's been very helpful and it gets my mind um on the things that it's supposed to instead of just always trying to remember so i'd have to say that's the one that's that's pretty
0: good for that's a great answer i completely agree with that so are you a one alert guy or are you a two alert guy (laughs) Two, Yeah, 100%. (laughs) has to be two. (laughs) Awesome. Uh, Dennis, hang on the line afterwards here, but I just wanted to publicly thank you for spending some of your valuable time and joining me on the Quickie Podcast. That was a lot of great uh, stuff that you offered up here, and I'm looking forward to hearing the feedback.
1: Thanks for having me. I I hope I added to your show. Thanks very much, Dave.
0: Absolutely did. All right. It's Dave Hoppin back on at the end of the episode here. Thank you so much for listening and being with us today. I hope you have an awesome day and tune in tomorrow morning for our next guest. Thanks.